Hi, I'm Alex L., and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. I'll be sitting down with some phenomenal women to discuss love. I believe we grew distant out of love of some type. Like, yeah. I don't want to hurt you. Loss. Really don't know what's going to trigger that feeling of right. grief in any moment. And a topic very important to my work self-care. Freedom is self-care. It's not about pedicures. It's not about clothing. It's not about trips. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Today on the show, I'm sitting down with Hannah. She is a business owner, an educator, and a lover of imagination and play. We're discussing tapping into inner play, advocating for self, and encouraging joy in the classroom. This is Hannah. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for being with me today. How are you? I'm doing so well. We are. I'm just so honored. Thanks so much for inviting me onto this. I can't wait to chit chat and just chat. I love it. Thanks so much. Of course, of course. So let's dive right in. Who are you and what do you do? I'm Hannah. I'm an educator by trade. I'm a lover, a lover and a lover of all things imaginative and playful. Um, I am a Latina. I'm a Latina in business. I'm a young woman in business. I'm a business owner. I own a company called Nugget, um, where I head up marketing, partnership, community, and product design. Oh, wow. That's that's a lot of stuff. Um, it's a lot. <laughs> a lot of good stuff. I love educator. I love a Latina in business, I love a lover of imagination. Let's talk about your education background first. So for me, my um, in my blood, education is just kind of in my blood. Um, on my dad's side, my, um, my grandpa was a principal in Miami. Um, he was one of the first, on that side, he was one of the first white principals in um, Little Haiti. And so he was really instrumental in my growth and my passion for wanting to be an instructor. And then my mom, um, who is Puerto Rican Panamanian, is a teacher. And um, she started doing, when I was little, she was just a daycare assistant. And then she kind of worked her way up. She was the first person in her family to go to college. So she got her education degree, worked her way up, worked her way up. And um, now she is an assistant principal and she just accepted a position at a, a private school in Dubai. So oh, she wow. is just rocking it, killing <laughs> it. Um, so I just have really strong, passionate educators in my family. And so when it came time to graduate from school, I decided to go back to Miami where my grandfather was a teacher and just connect with those roots. So I went to some schools in Miami-Dade that are incredibly under-resourced. Um, 99% of students were on free or reduced lunch. I had, you know, massive classrooms, just way too many kids in a class. It was a very under-resourced area, but those kids were amazing. And I had a really fabulous time. Um, but the reason to kind of tie it back to what I do now and the reason I'm doing what I do now is because I had a lot of issues with the ways we treat black and brown kids in schools. Mm-hmm. Our kids, you know, are amazing, and but they come in with a lot of deficits in those schools. And so, you know, we have these schools that are just so under-resourced. They ha- I mean, I had maggots in my classroom. I had, you know, I had crickets and termites and cockroaches. I mean, my our school building was falling apart. 
in this neighborhood in Little Haiti. And we expect these kids to come in and just perform and, you know, to sit in their chair all day long, sit up straight and perform, 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 because we needed a letter grade so that we could, you know, keep the school afloat. Mm. So we had to be really hard on those kids. And, you know, I was fresh out of college and I didn't really know. I didn't know much, but I knew that it wasn't quite right to be so hard on kids and to expect so much out of them. So for me, play and um, joy in the classroom was kind of like my form of dissent. It was pretty political. I didn't want kids to have to sit all day long with their hands, you know, crossed in their seat. Every opportunity, I wanted to get them out of their seat, jumping, dancing, having fun. So play was really, it was really impactful for my classroom. And it was really where I came, I came to love teaching was I was an educator that taught through play and taught through joy and fun. There's this famous quote that I kind of earmarked from Mr. Rogers. And he said, play is really the work of childhood. It's often talked about as if it were like a relief from serious learning. You know, you have your classes and then you have your recess. But play should be what kids are doing all day long. So that's what I believe. So let's talk a little bit about Nugget and how amazing mm-hmm. Nugget is. <laughs> Isla loves her <laughs> Nugget. <laughs> she runs across the room, belly flops on it. Like that that's her thing now. We have it set up in our living room and like a little mini couch for her. <laughs> and she loves it. She turns it into a teepee. It's very, very fun. So when wow. I first saw Nugget, I was just like wow, this is so fun. And then seeing the social media aspect of it and how parents and caregivers and kids are using this really interesting, unique um, play thing, I was just blown away. So let's, how did Nugget, how did Nugget come to be? And what kind of inspired um, its uniqueness? Thank you for saying all of that. And I'm really, really happy to hear how much she loves it. And and we just have such a great time doing what we do. So Nugget, for anyone that doesn't know, it's just this little foam couch. It's like four pieces. And kids can do pretty much anything they want to it. It's an open-ended plaything. But fam- I mean, families lay on it. Parents read on it. The goal is for us to make furniture for growing imaginations, furniture that encourages kids to be kids. Mm-hmm. And for families to play and bringing that back to the living room, bringing that, you know, kind of element of memories you have with your parents rolling around with you on the living room floor, like that's what we wanted to bring back. And so the story of how that came to be, the reason it's so unique and such a unique idea is because the story is unique. It kind of happened through happenstance. So we all, the three of us, the owners, we actually don't have children. So I was an educator. And then my two business partners, Ryan and David, we all went to college together. And David is, he's the one that's kind of like the tinkerer. And he is like the grown-up kid. He was seeing, you know, college students throwing out those $99 like Target futons that everyone would get. Those like really cheaply made ones that everyone had to just like crash. Yeah. So he was seeing, you know, college students throw them out um, at the end of the quarter and they would just end up in the landfill. And he was a biology major. He just took issue with that. He didn't like that. He felt like, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. And these big corporations like Target and Walmart, they're making so much money off of this. And this massive piece of furniture is ending up in the landfill consistently. It's happening on the UNC campus. It's happening on all campuses. And so he, his thought was, let's make the opposite of that. So the thing that makes 
the clunky futon so clunky is it's got all those parts and you got it's got nuts and bolts and screws and it's got these long bars and so you can't just like up and take it to your next apartment very easily it also breaks because of that it's not high quality so the opposite of that is something that is lightweight something that didn't have those nuts and bolts that just kind of sit there with friction and that was kind of the concept behind it and that's the first couple of prototypes were college futons he brought on Ryan, who, so David's the oldest, Ryan's younger, and then I'm the baby. He brought on Ryan to do um, a little bit of creative and just to have that vision. Ryan was a successful entrepreneur on the UNC college campus already. He had a t-shirt company, and he's incredibly talented. And so David knew that Ryan would be the best business partner for him. So they started working together, and they graduated, and they took this idea. They were working out of downtown Durham. We're in North Carolina. And they were working out of downtown Durham on this for, you know, two, three years, they were working on it and they were trying to market it to college students. The issue is that college students and the ways that families um, pay for college students, all of their supplies when they first get in their freshman year or sophomore year, the, the typical pattern is to go to Target and get everything. Right. It's not really within consumer pattern to want to take a chance on a small business. So they were having a, a really hard time. And meanwhile, they had given me a nugget for my classroom because I couldn't afford anything. And so they generously had, we were friends, and they generously donated one to my classroom. So I had one in my classroom as this was happening. And my kids were obsessed. <laughs> and so they, you know, they're working on this college thing. And, and they had a couple people that had told them, hey, have you ever thought of, you know, you're not making a lot of sales. Have you ever thought of marketing this to kids? But being two young guys out of college, you know, not with a lot of children, um, in their experience before they, they really didn't know how to do that. They put it up on Kickstarter and they had a lot of success and really parents were the ones that were telling them, you need to, Hey, you guys need to do something different here. This is not really working for college students. Right. And so meanwhile, I'm, you know, with my students, I'm, I'll take any, you know, donations at this point. So I get lots of random things in my classroom. The nugget was one of them, but um, my kids were just obsessed. I had, um, I had autism spectrum. I had oppositional defiant disorder. I had sensory processing disorder. Um, I had lots and lots of um, children in those years that um, just needed a space where they could just calm down or they could get that sensory input that they needed. Mm -hmm. And the nugget was that for us. It was, it was really a remarkable thing for my classroom. It was this soft, cushy place. I mean, kids are in plastic chairs all day long to have this like soft cushy place was pretty remarkable for them that they could just play and be themselves. And so I was getting to a point where I was following the nugget story and, you know, keeping in touch with Ryan and David, obviously, but I kind of just said, Hey guys, let me just come on and do this thing as like an internship. I have a summer off. Um, I don't know what it's going to turn into, but can I just come on and, and help you guys? I think I know, you know, a little bit about kids, a little bit about development, a little bit about parents. Um, maybe I can help you just with your social for now. So that's how it started. Um, and we had a lot of success. <laughs> and we've had, we've had a lot of success. We've, we've, um, we've used social to get the word out there about the ways that this product, this foam product, can really open up children's imagination and can really um, create a space where everyone in the family is comfortable and can play together. Um, and that's all kind of by happenstance. It, it wasn't meant to be that, but it turned into that. And it, 
it was so cool to watch happen um, over the last couple of years. I mean, when we first started, Ryan, David, and I were we were in a basement office in the startup space, and the three of us would like high five around the office when we got like one sale a day. Like it was like <laughs> raise the champagne, like. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and so and now we're at a place where we've got, you know, like 15 employees and we have a 12,000 square foot uh, manufacturing wow. facility and we do everything in house. And we're all still really young. I mean, none of us have gotten married. None of us have kids, but we've had a lot of success. And um, and I definitely owe that completely to the families um, in the triangle where we are that have just supported us so hard. They have just been our champions um, and come in and done photo shoots for us and spread the word and through social. Um, social marketing has been really, really um, amazing for us. So yeah, that's, that's not a good story. That's really, no, that's really, really, really <laughs> amazing. Look, we get it. Your child is incredibly curious and a lot of toys and activities these days just don't keep their attention. Well, keep them engaged with hours of fun with Little Passports. Little Passports is a subscription box full of toys and games for children of all ages that educates and entertains. For $12.95 per month, there's tons to explore right from your own home. Little Passports box is delivered right to your door every month and each package contains exciting hands-on learning for kiddos three and and up. You can feed their inner scientist with the science expedition pack, which is full of cool experiments to try, or you can even make your own slime. And just for my listeners, Little Passports is offering 15% off of any subscription. That means your child could be flying rockets or looking through a microscope in no time. Use offer code HeyGirl at checkout for 15% off your order. That's HeyGirl at LittlePassports.com. I love when I hear that brands kind of develop or they do develop organically. Mm -hmm. You know, they, mm -hmm. it, they may start off as one thing and then just completely change to the next thing, to the next thing that the world needed, that the community needed. That's so special um, mm -hmm. and very, very, very fun. I, I really loved the emphasis that you put on family and play and living room time and reading together and rolling around together and it's just it's amazing i was watching ryan with isla the other day they had it set up as like a little mountain and he was on one side and she was popping through they were playing peekaboo mm -hmm. and it was just it was just beautiful and it, it was fun and mm -hmm. there's not a lot of toys and furniture that number one are heirloom pieces that can last mm -hmm. and that will last that are aesthetically pleasing, that parents that we want to keep around and that we right. want to have around. Right. And also that is multifunctional. Like this isn't just the mm -hmm. sofa. This isn't just a toy. This is anything you can imagine. And I think that that's what really makes Nugget as a consumer so special for our family. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just from, just from the children's side of things, um, being that I'm an educator, um, for me to see this product, because it's so open-ended and because it was born out of just like this basic need to have something that was portable and versatile and could last, the ways that it's impacting children to me is really magical. I mean, we see kids that are using this for open-ended play. So that means that the beauty of open-ended play, for anyone that isn't quite sure, 
is basically that, you know, there's not an answer. We're not giving a kid a puzzle and then telling them, hey, do this puzzle. And then they look up at you when they're done. They're like, okay, now what? Mm -hmm, (laughs) We're giving them an opportunity to discover and to just play for the sake of play. And there doesn't have to be an end goal. That takes their imagination to places. A lot of them are, you know, discovering their imagination through this toy. You know, as we've been in business, we're seeing little babies that are now three or four that have and are still playing with it because they have this amazing, beautiful association with it being a place where, you know, it could be anything they want it to be. Also, just from like the development side of things for sociodramatic play, I mean, we have kids that are playing out whole scenes. They're creating ice cream shops. They're creating their future taco trucks that they want to own. They're creating the barber shop. You know, they're, they're playing and they're role playing and they're figuring out how to speak about the world, how to speak to other kids when they have play dates. We're having people bring these to play dates. And so they're, they're learning how to be adults through this piece of furniture, which I just think is magical. And that's all in addition to obviously like the locomotor play, just getting, getting the wiggles out, Mm -hmm. the wiggles out, you know, the Mm -hmm. exploratory play, little infants that are learning how to walk and stand and, um, you know, learning their bodies through it. So it has just been just from an educator side of things, like it has been the coolest thing to see kids grow up with this product. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your self-care practice as a woman in business, as an educator in business, um, and also how your self-care transforms into community building. Oh, that's a really good one. Okay. I'll (laughs) stretch. There's a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot there. (laughs) All right. Pick and choose. Um, Pick and choose. Yeah. Okay. So I'll start with I I like what you said about, you know, being an educator in business, because that's what I am. I don't, because I'm a businesswoman now, I don't shy away from, you know, me being an educator because it's so formative to the way that I approach things um, and the way that I lead and the way that I communicate about the product. So I'm glad that you said that. When it comes to, I'll say that, you know, when it comes to my reference or kind of like my schema for self-care when I was coming out of being a teacher for so long, you know, the education system and specifically an under-resourced school and the education system is not a place that values self-care for teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it is, it is really upsetting. But if you think about the ways that teachers have to show up every day and they have to stand on their feet all day and they can't use the restroom, I mean, there's lots of systematic things that don't make it possible to um, be thinking about yourself in a day and in your career. And then on top of it, when you're in an under-resourced school and when you care so deeply about your students um, and your students have very, very desperate needs when it comes to, you know, learning, but also just personally things that, you know, students aren't necessarily always getting from home or getting from resources at the school. In the education system, it's just not a thing to think about self-care. So I will say that for many years in my early 20s, I was not someone that believed self-care was necessary or possible. As an educator, I um, was 100% just giving towards kids, and it burned me out, and it was really unfortunate because, you know, I just wasn't able to foster that love for myself or give myself what I needed. It just didn't seem acceptable. So I, I came from a place born out of that where then I was put into, like, a startup environment, and, you know, when you're trying to build something, you have to also, it has to also be your student, and you have to give 100% of yourself to it. 
So when it was just the three of us, we also were not really practicing self-care and we were working way too late and not eating well and, you know, doing the typical Facebook movie type right, of thing right. to, get a, to get a small business off the ground. It's kind of what you have to do. But then from there, we, you know, we got to a place where we were making sales and we had to bring in employees. And, and when you bring in employees, things have to change because you have to lead by example and you have to take care of them, too. And so self-care in that kind of growth phase meant just sustainable growth. Like, how are we going to do this thing? How are we going to get as many nuggets to as many kids and families and classrooms and daycares that we can, but sustainably and not kill ourselves? So self-care just meant, you know, to me and to us as leaders, just not overworking people, not um, overworking ourselves, you know, having flexibility within our days and within our weeks, taking time off, like allowing everyone to do that. So I was finally able to get the things that I wasn't able to get as a teacher, which was great. And it was great to lead and it was great to give our employees that and to be great bosses through that. But then there was another shift, I'll say, because I kind of was like going through that sustainable growth period. And then Ryan and David said, okay, Hannah, well, you're obviously an owner. Like, you know, you've, you've had some very imperative moves here to turn us into the company we are, um, and you need to be part of leadership. And so, you know, to be told, hey, you're an owner now, that was really scary because, to be honest, in, you know, in the South at least, there's not a lot of young female minority um, women down here that are that are leading startups it's just not something that I saw Mm -hmm. and it wasn't it's not something that you know is in either side of my family so it was really really scary and I I went through a lot of anxiety and I I had imposter syndrome and I it was really traumatic to be told that honestly even though it's a, a, a good thing it's a good thing but to be told hey you're a business owner now was really scary. And so I, you know, I would go to like networking events and we would be having conversations with consultants and making business decisions with mentors, but everyone was a white man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and I just, I didn't feel like I belonged at all. And so now where I'm at, that's kind of like the arch of my kind of like self-care journey. Now where I'm at is my self-care currently looks like practicing attunement with my body, um, making sure I'm in harmony in my actions, but even probably more important than that, just talking to myself and reminding myself that I belong, mm-hmm. you know, in all these spaces. Mm-hmm. Just because I don't have mentors that look like me or that it's, or rather, if it's really difficult to find mentors that look like me in this space, I still belong. I can't tell you the number of emails that I've sent to, you know, other people, other women in business. And I'm like, hey, I'm desperate for mentorship. And and they kind of come back and they say, hey, I would love to help. But I've kind of maxed out on my mentees. Oh, wow. Um, It's it's really hard because, you know, there's so little of us doing this, um, at least in the South, that it, it feels like, you know, maybe I don't belong. Maybe there's not enough space for, you know, women that look like me doing this. So that's what it looks like currently is just, you know, reminding myself I belong, practicing attunement and letting ourselves, letting, you know, all of us play also, 
we're having kids play, you know, we're teaching families to play, but we also need to play. Mm. You know, that looks like for me taking that dance class I've been wanting to take or, you know, last weekend I took the, I took this Friday off and I went to the Ariana Grande concert in New York. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I got my, I got my life and it was, you know, it was so fun, but like playing, actually playing the way that we, we tell kids to play too. That's what it's been looking like for me lately. Oh, I love that. I love that a lot, Hannah. That's a, that's wonderful. <laughs> that's so wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so the last question before we wrap up. Um, you talked a lot about your love for being an educator and your love for your kids and just how special and important play is in the classroom. So I know we mm-hmm. have quite a few educators who listen to the Hey Girl mm. podcast, and they may be serving in underserved communities. They may be showing up in the same type of desperate needs that you did, right? And mm-hmm. the question I want to ask you is, what would you tell other educators about encouraging play in those mm. underserved environments? And how would you encourage them to fill up in their own self-care practice so, mm. so that they can okay. show up as their best self in the classroom? Well, one thing I will say is what I was doing when it came to teaching through joy and teaching through play, that is that is something that took a lot of guts on my behalf, but it was it's not revolutionary in the sense that a lot of young teachers are kind of creating that paradigm shift currently. So anyone that's listening that's an educator has probably already heard of, you know, trusting students in the classroom to play, flexible seating. They've probably heard these terms because there's this grassroots movement of educators that are seeing what's happening with kids and are not happy with it and they're just kind of they're not waiting for anyone to tell them what to do they're just kind of doing it and so I was inspired by a lot of those teachers and I followed a lot of teachers on social media that were doing that teachers that we actually currently work with now at Nugget and they're amazing and they've been a source of inspiration when I was in the classroom and now currently out of the classroom so find those mentors that are doing it um, within flexible seating and within play in the classroom and, and look at what they're doing look at their resources online but also I would say just from my experience learning from it trust kids to be kids and relinquish the control that sometimes when we're you know when we're learning about education when we're learning about really just like how the classroom should be structured a lot of times it should be structured as teacher has the knowledge and teacher imparts the knowledge onto the students and that's why the students have to sit and listen but flipped classrooms and classrooms that um, allow kids to be kids allow the kids to do some of the teaching back to the teacher and that takes a lot of relinquishing of control and a relinquishing of notions that as educators we've been taught but it's not 21st century learning anymore like we have to do it differently now because kids are different now and we've got a whole different set of systematic issues especially when it comes to teaching in title one schools so we need to give them that flexibility and that freedom so trust them to be kids And then the other thing I would say when it comes to self-care in the classroom, I would say find, if it's not your principal or if it's not someone that's like you're directly above you, find someone in the school that you can trust to talk to about your needs. For me in my school, it was not my principal. My principal was very authoritarian and was very cold. And so that's why I felt so shrunken and so so much like I couldn't take days off or I couldn't come up to her and tell her that I was stressed. So that was on me for not finding that mentor. Um, And I did have a mentor, but he left the the classroom. 
Um, so continue to find those people that you can have in your school as your support system. And you need to be able to tell them, hey, I, I need to use the bathroom today. Like, I, I'm going to have to use the bathroom today. Please, can you watch my class on your break? You know, don't be afraid to ask and advocate for yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And if you develop those relationships in the school building, you probably won't have such nervous energy and such anxiety about making those asks. It will feel mutual. I think that's the only way to do it currently um, with the system that's set up. Thanks for listening to the show today. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Also, feel free to share with a friend. We love having our community grow. Music is by DC's own Kokai. Mm-hmm.